and welcome again to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What. This week, Macintosh and Mod witness the Bond movie by which all others are judged. The story, the design, the characters, all of it comes right back to this film. From the theme song, to the car, to the villains, Macintosh and Mod present this week's review of the 1964 Bond masterpiece, Goldfinger. Hey everybody, this is David, aka Macintosh. And I'm Diana, aka Mod. And welcome back again to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? This is the podcast, of course, where we make each other watch movies we've never seen before. And this week, continuing on with our James Bond theme, I am making Mod watch Goldfinger. Dun, dun, dun. Investigating a gold magnate smuggling, James Bond uncovers a plot to contaminate the Fort Knox Gold Reserve. What? The budget was $3 million, the budget of the last two films combined. Now, yep. at the time, this is the equivalent of $24 million, so we're talking about a fairly significant budget for a drama then. And just for uh, some perspective, Daniel Craig is going to make $25 million for doing Bond 25. Yeah, but the inflation rate on movies is kind of ridiculous at this point. So True, but still, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to think about. You get some perspective. Yeah. The total box office for this film, mm -hmm. and this is box office, this is not home release. Okay. $125 million. Okay, every time you, you pause at a million dollars, I can't help but to think of Dr. Evil. It's, I know it's on purpose, but it's just hilarious in my brain. That is a huge, oh, astronomical huge budget return. Like, just $15 million would be like, hey, great, we hit it out of the park. But $125 million off of a $3 million budget yeah. is insane. Them's, like, better than Avengers numbers. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. What are your initial thoughts about this movie? I like it because a lot of it feels like current bond Ooh, i like that you know we got a bond girl yeah we got a bond girl that dies yes that's, that's pretty normal bond girl typically dies you get two bond girls that die you do you do i kind of forget about that because i i did get confused there it's kind of there a were a lot of blondes it it's was confusing it's kind of a half a bond girl yeah i like the gadgets there are more gadgets yeah you get the car there was a car. <laughs> um, like a featured car, because there are cars in the other ones. Right. Yeah. And like Sean Connery like knows who he is. He knows what he's doing. And we got more money, Penny. That's adorable. <laughs> All right. Well, we start with the writing, as okay. usual. Hey, guess who's back? It's Richard Maybaum. What? I feel like he's going to be a common theme throughout the rest mm -hmm. of these Sean Connery movies. Maybe a smidge. The novel was chosen for its American ties. Mm -hmm. We'd been in the Caribbean. We'd been in England and Europe. Now we're in America. That makes sense. At least to start off. Yeah. They were still dealing with the legal fallout from Thunderball and all of that, which we will discuss when we get to Thunderball. Mm -hmm. Regardless, they still couldn't film that movie. Mm -hmm. So they went with Goldfinger. The writers fix a major plot hole that's in the novel. Oh, okay. In the novel, Goldfinger steals all of the gold in Fort Knox. Okay. In the movie, Sean Connery rightfully points out, uh, that's impossible. Yes, well, I've worked out a few statistics of my own. Fifteen billion dollars in gold bullion weighs 10,500 tons. Sixty men would take 12 days to load it onto 200 trucks. 
Now, at the most, you're going to have two hours before the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines move in and make you put it back. Who mentioned anything about removing it? That's, like, insane. Why is it insane? Just because of the sheer volume? Yeah. Okay. And that's why Goldfinger says, I'm not going to steal it. (laughs) I'm going to irradiate it so they can't touch it for 60 years. Same difference. Which is a genius plan. Oh, that 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 is awesome. Yeah, you can't touch it, so it's like it's... It's worthless. This script Mm -hmm. is described as, and I would totally agree with this, it is the template for every future Bond film. Yes. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, that's where I feel like this feels like Bond. It feels like Bond because it is. Going forward, every movie was built on this same basic structure. Lots of different things would change and tones would change. Okay. And if they weren't built on this structure, they fail spectacularly. So as is normal, I know Macintosh and Mod haven't seen what podcast. One of us hasn't seen the movie. And I definitely have. Okay. So for me, I'm coming to all of these Bonds brand new. Right. Though I am a fan of Bond. I do love Bond. Daniel Craig is my favorite Bond currently. Currently? Currently. You're still, you're still... I think I have to see them all before I can decide. Oh, crap. But I thoroughly... Crap. Enjoy- I know. Crap. Damn it. Crap on a cracker, because we're only doing Sean Connery for this series. Well, no, I'm just saying, like... Ugh. Yeah, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. And I don't think it's going to bode well. But, yeah, I feel like when people talk about their favorite Bond film, a lot of people who have really dived deep into the whole James Bond franchise talk about Goldfinger. It's on the top echelon for me, so for I'm, sure. I'm really glad I've seen it now. If I, I am. If it's not my number one yet, mm-hmm. it's only because I haven't gotten to see all of them in context. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely near the top of my list and has been since I saw it the first time. Honestly, like I know people are going to be annoyed to hear me say this. just makes Austin Powers funnier to me. Oh, of course. It nobody's, just does. nobody's annoyed by that. Austin Powers has made it all the more rich if you've actually seen the Bond movies, and especially these. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I 100% agree. It's fun for me. So, story is... Story's good. Yeah. I like the story. Um, I think it was smart for them to, after... I mean, this was made by a bunch of Americans, really. That, setting a story in america oh like yes it was smart to have like inside from the one american spy american officer dude what's his name again felix Leiter. felix Leiter. sorry i'm gonna get this eventually well especially because he shows up in like 80 different movies well yeah so it's like james bond <laughs> yeah he's the american counterpart i thought it's cool that the target is an american target so it's kind of the whole working together and yeah, a little bit. I mean, Goldfinger's not American by any stretch. No, but... the target is American. True. Yeah. So jumping on to directing. Okay. This is a new director. Okay. So Terrence Young had decided he was going to do another film at the time. Okay. And committed to that. Yeah. So they bring in Guy Hamilton. Guy okay. Hamilton had been approached for Dr. No. He turned it down. Mm-hmm. He is a very quintessential stiff upper lip British guy. Okay. His most famous works would be to direct Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die. And the man with the golden gun. So he's a Bond dude. He's a Bond dude. Hamilton knew Ian Fleming. Oh, okay. Working intelligence with the Royal Navy during World War II. Oh, shit. So okay. he had some background knowledge. So he he's inside baseball here. And I will say, while the writers did a fantastic job with this, and it was split between some different writers, Richard Maybaum wrote the, the, main, play, the, main thing. the main story, but the producers didn't like his first draft. They brought in a British guy named Paul Dean. 
okay. D-E-H-N, to write the film. Connery didn't like that final script, so Maybaum got brought back in. Oh, okay. So it was a little back and forth tug of war. Okay. But they say Dean really brought the British part of it into the movie. That he helped huh. solidify the bondness in it. Instead of making it a straight Americanized film. You know what? That makes a lot of sense. Especially, you know, I said I felt like Bond is like fully himself. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I think Joanna Harwood was doing that in those first two movies. She was trying to keep the Ian Fleming-ness there. No, I, I get that. But again, I said it in our last one that that's trying to be a servant of two masters. Yeah. And her job sucks. Not that she did a bad one. I'm, it just, that sucks. They just, they did a lot of revisions to the script as okay. they went through the process. Well, it, it feels like they were good revisions. And Guy Hamilton brought a lot of that as the director okay. with the attitude and personality he was. But he also had one very clear vision in mind, mm -hmm. which was that he wanted to make Bond less of a Superman mm -hmm. and more of a human. And he made his villains incredibly difficult to beat. Oh, I love that. These are the most intimidating villains that Bond has faced. Can he fix DC? Can he fix Superman? Oh, uh, no, I'm pretty sure he's dead. Sad. <laughs> that is, I love, I love the way that's phrased. Exactly. He yeah. said that the, in the first two movies, it was just Bond was, seemed superhuman. Even, even up against Robert Shaw's character, who is pretty tough. We he, still don't feel just, like he's got he things in hand. invincible. And in this movie, no way does he feel no, like... No, they put him in some some difficult situations. And the tension is, is ratcheted up enough that you're like, these bad guys might win. They're smart enough and tough enough to do it. It's kind of more interesting when the bad guy wins a little bit. We'll talk about the cast. Okay. We've talked about Sean Connery, mm -hmm. and I don't want to just repeat the dead horse. What I want to do going forward is just kind of go like, okay, how do you feel about him compared? Mm -hmm. And then talk about some of the trivia stuff that goes on with him as we go throughout the rest Perfect. of the movies. Perfect. Sounds great to me. So, first of all, you just your thoughts about Connery in this version versus the previous two. Like I said at the beginning, I think he's fully in the character. I think he's settled into his accent. Oh, they let, they just let him but, do his yeah. brogue now. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, which I... I, he 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 switches it a little bit depending on who he's talking to. I think, but that's just what people do. Well, I think honestly, it's just when he needs to be debonair, sharp and debonair. He kind of pulls yeah. it, reins it in a little bit, and then when he's with Money Penny, he just talks. So cute. <laughs> it's so cute. I love it. So he just kind of lets it go. He received a bonus while making From Russia with Love. We didn't oh. talk about this, but oh. he got a $100,000 bonus on top of, I think it was like a 50000 salary or mm -hmm. something like that. This movie, there was a pay dispute between him and the studio, the production studios they were making the movie. Mm. While he filmed the scene where he gets knocked out by Oddjob, mm -hmm. he suffered a back injury from that. Oh, I think I remember people talking about this. Yeah. Because of that injury happening, mm -hmm. that dispute was settled. Connery signed a deal where he received a 5% gross of all the future Bond movies that he made. That was the right choice. A-plus lawyers. So 5% of $125 million is $6.25 million from this movie that he got. And we're talking about that gross that by 1965 million. Well, but that was 1966 dollars yeah. by the time it was done. It's like, what, 100K now? Yeah. 100 mil? And what happened was it, it ran an initial run, got a bunch of money, and then they re-released it as a double feature with Dr. No in 1966. Mm -hmm. And he gets 5% of that, too. And he just raked in the cash over this That's and why all they try not movies. to do that stuff anymore. They don't want to give performers a bit of the gross, because if they ever re-release it in any way, 
they have th- they get that money. They also don't sign performers to like six movie deals anymore, unless it's Marvel. So he he made his fucking money. Yeah, he starting with he this got movie paid. Okay, cool. Honor Blackman as Pussy Galore. She's very stiff. Really. I kind of like her. I, I do like her because I like how... She's the first Bond girl villain. Well, okay. She's very much like Money Penny in that she'll play with them, but there's a wall up. She's not as... She's not flirting. She's not inviting him to play. Which is always the best Bond girls. The Agreed. best Bond girls are the ones who can kind of match Money Penny one for one. Well... Yeah, but who are just evil. That's the only difference. They're evil. Yeah. Um, and Money Penny's Money Penny's not gonna go too far. No. Whereas she's not stupid, where these girls will go as far as they need to go to get what they needed to get. Pretty much. I'm not slut shaming, I'm just saying what's happening. She's just a little stiff. Not yeah. bad. But I think stiff. also I think it might be that issue of she's creating a new type of character in this franchise and that's... nobody's sure what to do with it. Well that's okay. Because last last movie from Russia with Love we had What's her butt? Tatiana. Tatiana. And she was looser, but she wasn't as, like... She a, wasn't as fleshed out as a character. True. And that was our problem. But I liked how much... Some of it might have been that she was just a little bit more seductive. Right. But I also liked... She was she was trying to get James to do something. And with Pussy Galore, it's just like... Oh. Well, she was the original counterpart on The Avengers. The 1960s British spy oh, okay. show. So before Emma Peel, mm-hmm. before the Diana Rigg seasons of The Avengers, mm-hmm. Honor Blackman was the counterpart to Patrick McGee on The Avengers. Diana Rigg is pretty awesome. Honor Blackman's pretty awesome, too. Here's the thing. She's stiff, but I think that's because she's not quite sure of what the character is. I can see her being fantastic mm-hmm. as a spy. And I do like that she's a henchwoman. She is a henchwoman. Also, she knew Judo. Yeah. That fight scene in the in the barn? Yeah. She's fighting him. She's actually using judo moves on him. That's cool. So that was one of the I biggest reasons that. they brought her in. Okay. Now, the name Pussy Galore. It's awesome. <laughs> like, no, it's almost better as his response is, uh, what does he say? Who are you? My name is Pussy Galore. I must be dreaming. I must be dreaming. I must be dreaming. (laughs) It's just like, my life is not this good. It's it's a little, it's one of those wink and a nod to the audience. And then the whole time, he just like, pussy. 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 It's great. Now, of course, her name was a point of contention with American censors. Of course. It sounds like a comic book character. Oh, of course it does. Which is also awesome. So the writers initially considered naming her Kitty Galore. Okay. At some point. Okay. But Guy Hamilton fought hard and said, if you were a 10-year-old boy and knew what the name meant, you weren't a 10-year-old boy, you were a dirty little bitch. The American censor was concerned, but we got around that by inviting him and his wife out to dinner and told him we were big supporters of the Republican Party. (laughs) Now imagine that in a very stiff British old spy guy saying that. Oh, I totally believe it. I know, right? By hook, line, and sinker. Honor Blackman gets extra brownie points in my book Mm -hmm. because she tried in every interview to say her character's name over and over and over again just to freak the interviewers out. 
Oh, I like that. I, I she do. just I, loved, mad props. She'd love to see the look on their face. She just loved to see the look on their face when now, she kept saying pussy galore. Pussy galore. <laughs> I don't know how to write that. I don't I can't spell. Oh no. And the US censors said they would put it in the movie, mm-hmm. but they refused to promote her. They wouldn't put Pussy Galore on any posters or promotional materials. So she is named as Miss Galore or Goldfinger's flying henchwoman or pilot. something like that. Oh, yeah. Goldfinger's what, pilot. What I, like, yeah, whatever it is on the yeah. poster. So they would not name her by character name. In promotion. I kind of okay. Because you know what? That's actually a great marketing plan. Just because it's so ridiculous. If you don't know and you go and you hear Pussy Glory, you're like, what the hell? Yeah. It's great. It's kind of a wonderful it's surprise. Like, oh my God, they did that. Oh my God. And his response to, I must be dreaming, like, that's perfect. His back and forth with her. So, if nothing else, they have great chemistry. I'll give you that. They really do. And, yeah, I do love her flying the plane, and then her her henchwomen are, like, trying to spy on him, and he's just, like, not having it. It's a Galora's flying circus. It's, that's pretty funny. I like how offended her henchwoman is by, like, oh, he figured it out. It's like, he's a spy, you dum-dum. Of course he figured it out. Yeah, well. They're not, uh, they're not used to smart guys. True. Very true. But that's funny. All right. Gert Fribe. Gert Fribe. As Auric Goldfinger. He's ridiculous. And he reminds me a lot of Alfred Hitchcock. Mmm. Um, but ridiculous in a good way? Uh, he's okay. Like, I've seen worse. There is a lost in translation issue here for me. Okay. Knowing what we know, because... He spoke all of his lines phonetically. He did not mm. know English very well at all. Oh, keep talking. Okay. And because he spoke that way, all of his scenes were incredibly long. Mm-hmm. It took him way too long to get through the lines. Yeah. So what they did was he performed at double speed. Mm-hmm. So when they dubbed him with an English actor, okay, it would fit in a normal speed. Okay, they should have cast somebody else. Well, who could have been better? Who could have been better? It was too expensive, but they considered Orson Welles. Fuck, yeah, that would have been amazing. Oh my god. That would have been worth the money. Dude. Worth the money. And he was big Orson Welles at this point, so it would have played just the same, if not- He was B-word fat at that point. (laughs) Yeah, Orson Welles, hands down. And they looked- there was another actor they talked about, I think it was Theodore Bikel, who- He's a character actor that I think I've you've probably seen in things. Mm-hmm. I didn't see any specific titles, okay. but the biggest thing was he was a master of accents. Oh, yeah. So he was like a super Russian. I mean, I think they had their choices and it just didn't work out. And they had seen this, this guy this in some This is where they should have just spent the money. Well, I think it was this guy has the right look and the right yeah. tone and feel as an actor, but they didn't they didn't know how complicated it was going to be while filming. Yeah. And that's just how it worked out. Shirley Eaton as Jill Masterson. This is first Masterson. <laughs> okay. I got confused because <laughs> they were lots of blondes. <laughs> and I think that's fair. Yeah, well. Okay. Uh, she is incredibly important, though, mm-hmm. because of the lasting image Yep. on the bed yep. painted in gold. She only said she would do it if the nudity was tasteful. And it was. It, it, oh, it was. Yeah. And because of that. She wound up on the cover of Life magazine. Good for her. Covered in paint. So, yeah, so she was 
She was killed by paint poisoning, I guess. Skin suffocation. Skin suffocation. She was painted gold by Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. She came in. She was a hot girl. Yep. Uh, and then she got killed in a tragic yet kind of sexy way. I know. I I know they paid homage to this in Quantum of Solace. Yeah, legacy as part it. of this whole the film's legacy, even the Bond franchise, yeah. has paid its own homage to this movie. Absolutely, because that is an iconic uh, thing. Yeah. Um, and when I saw it, like I knew it was coming, and I was just like, "Yeah, yeah that's good." Now the other Masterson, played by Tanya Mallet. Yes, she's the one who's trying to shoot a dude, and who's in the movie for like all of ten minutes. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. The only in- real interesting factoid for her, mm-hmm. she was considered, and I believe auditioned for Tatiana and from Russia with Love. Oh, okay. Well, you know. So she was on the short list of actresses to go into that. Cool. And they remembered her, pushed her into this movie. Harold Sakata as Odd Job. Also another iconic role. One of the best Bond villains there ever has been. I wouldn't call him a villain. Oh, he's a villain. But a featured henchman? He's a featured henchman. Featured henchmen are a big part of Bond, and I think we can just treat him as villains. He's a junior junior villain. But for me, if Goldfinger is the brains, Odd Job is the brawn. And without Odd Job, Goldfinger couldn't get anywhere. I do like Odd Job. I like that he doesn't talk. He just shows up and does his job. His he, his whole acting's in his face, though, yeah. and he just, he does it so mm-hmm. perfectly. He can barely move his face, and you know exactly what he's thinking. Oh, and this has totally been emulated in so many movies. So and the way he throws times. that hat is just so perfect. perfect. He was a silver medalist weightlifter in Japan. Awesome. And uh, they saw him wrestle, mm-hmm. so I believe he was a pro wrestler. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Hamilton said about him, he was an absolutely charming man. Aww. And had a very unique way of moving, so when I created Oddjob, I modeled him completely after how Harold moved. Oh, that's awesome. He just said, he was perfect as is, I'm just going to make Oddjob be like him. During the final fight, mm-hmm. in the electrocution, he was incredibly badly burned. Oh, no. But he held on to the hat, Aww. determined to get the shot until they yelled cut. He was fine. He, he made it out fine. He just got really Poor badly burned. Job. But like, wow, he was he was determined to get it to work, and he held on to that yeah. hat as long as he could. Yeah. So they got the shot. It looked really good. So yeah. he got it done. And then finally, a fun little mention: Check Linder as Felix Leiter. He's kind of forgettable. So what's interesting is I got more backstory on Jack Lord. Okay. And why he didn't they they didn't bring him. It wasn't just more money. Okay. He also wanted co-star billing. Oh, fuck no. And a bigger role. No. I can understand wanting a bigger role, but you don't get co-star billing. You might get the and credit or and the with credit. He He's really good in what he does. Yeah. I don't think Linder is that forgettable. I think he's pretty good in what he's doing. He's not meant to be that much of a foreground character. Anyway. No, I think he probably should have had a little bit more seeing as the target is in the U.S. Yeah, but... That would have made more sense. Well, but Bond oh, but... has it in hand, remember? Of course. That's actually another really interesting piece of writing is mm-hmm. that they don't go after him because Bond has it in hand and they think he does, but he really doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> also, Checklinder was the only person who was actually filming in Miami. <laughs> those scenes at the Fontainebleau Hotel, and if you look, you can see it. He's the only one that was on location. Everybody else was in London filming oh, scenes yeah. that either 
looked like exteriors, or you can see that there's a screen. Yeah. He was the only one in America, so they just filmed all of his shots and then filmed everybody else in a recreation. It is more economical. I can't say that's wrong. But it was just funny. It was like, he was like, I got there and no one else was there. Here filming a movie. I'm by myself. Okay. And like after five days, then they moved everybody to London. Now, if we're going to talk about this movie, we have to talk about the scene design. Okay, so I didn't ask about the budget until we got to Goldfinger's lair. And I was like, this is where all the fuck money went. It's gorgeous. Uh-huh. I have seen those rooms recreated thousands of times. And they still don't look as good mm. as the original. I think some of them look a little bit better. I think it's from a lighting. I think it's a lighting thing. Yeah. But that design is insane. So. And I love it. Ken Adam, who did Dr. No. Okay. Came back. No money. When he had absolutely nothing. We talked about that. He did a great job. He did a great job with no money. So he he didn't do From Russia with Love. Okay. He skipped that one. Okay. To film Dr. Strangelove. Okay. That's right. He built those sets. And at some point, you got to see that too. I've never seen that one. Because the sets for that are also fucking incredible. But he then comes back into Bond to do this. Hit it out of the park. And he won the black and white BAFTA for Dr. Strangelove. The same year that he was nominated for color art direction for this. Wow. That's a good year for him. Yeah. I mean, we've got, and we'll get into the details of Fort Knox, but the design of Fort Knox, the design of Goldfinger's War Room, Mm -hmm. the sets of the Fontainebleau, all of that was done in Pinewood. Yeah. Like the Fontain, all of the hotel actual look was done on, um, on built sets. Yeah. So he just looked at what was in Miami mm-hmm. and then made we a luxurious hotel out of scratch. Made it make sense. Well, they do that all the time. Um, those look good. But the thing that's impressive is the war room. Oh, my God. That is so specific. And I don't feel like it's 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 the perfect 60s futuristic look without looking. I mean, looking at it now, it doesn't look dated at all. No. And all of the, well, the, con- the electronics the con- the look dated, okay. but that's about it. But and then all of the moving pieces the of that set were um, insane. Like I'm watching this and my, my brain instantly goes to how did I do that? Which is the whole reason why I got into theater. I want to know, how did you make that happen? And they're moving that pool table. And I was, I'm just like, well, let me, let me see the grooves in the floor. Where, where is it happening? It was, oh, it looks so cool. And I love it. And that's the other thing is like movies now, it'd all be CGI. Yeah, or, or, or not all of it, but some of it would be. Uh, half that set would have been, it wouldn't have been built that way. Yeah. Not and, likely. And they, it was like, they didn't have this, that luxury. They had to practical. figure out how to do it. And I love it. Makes um, my heart happy. And we have to talk about, there's this great line through, I'm not going to like write everything, mm-hmm. but the gold motif Yes. Is running throughout everything in this he's, movie. Yeah, he's always in gold, handling gold. He's surrounded by gold. Without it, but I do like that you would expect everything to be gold, and it's not. It's very subtle. Well, so they list Goldfinger's female henchwomen, mm-hmm. except his private jet's co pilot has black hair, and his stewardess, who's Korean, are either red blonde or blonde. Mm-hmm. So Pussy Galore, her whole fly yeah. circus crew, both Tilly Masterson and Pussy specifically have black hair in the novel. So this oh. was all choices that they made goldfinger's rolls royce is yellow painted and the gold and the license plate is au1 yeah the periodic symbol Before for gold. gold goldfinger has yellow or golden items of clothing in every mm-hmm. scene he has yeah. a golden pistol bond yeah. is bound to the cutting bench with a sheet of gold on it mm-hmm. his factory henchmen wear yellow sashes pussy galore twice wears a metallic gold vest 
all of her pilots have yellow sunburst insignias. Like every single detail, they they just keep going. Mm -hmm. And it was all conceived by the art director and Ken Adam. They decided at the beginning, we're going to show this in everything. It's so well done because it's, I'd say the sashes are a bit much and the vests, but I didn't really notice the vests, which is good. It's not obvious. It's not obvious. Until, Unless you're looking for it. And then when you say that, you're like, oh my god, it, yeah, it is, is gold. Yeah, I noticed it a little bit. I did. Yeah. Not all of them. You named a few that I didn't know, but I know I was specifically looking at him. On to some firsts, which we're getting less and less of each time. Yeah, yeah. But this is the first movie where Bond is actually reliant on technology. True. Which is going to be a big running theme mm-hmm. from now on. Yep. Which I love. The first with a pre-credit scene that is only tangentially related to the rest of the story. Huh. So, from Russia with Love, we have the pre-scene, but it's very integral to what's yeah. going to happen. This one, there's almost nothing going on that matters to the rest of the story, except that it gets him to Miami. Yeah. The only reason they have that scene is so that he can fly to Miami. And that happens in all the rest of the movies. Oh, okay, yeah. Not all the rest, but most of it, them. It happens more. That pre-credit scene is usually something, it's just its own little nugget that quickly gets us to the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Okay. That we just get to enjoy some Bond. And it's the first briefing inside of Q Branch. Up until now, we've just had Q walk into M's office and talk, but this time, we get to see Q Branch. Mm-hmm. And the testing. Yep. So, you know, like the like the actual guy on fire instead of a dummy. Yeah, that was fun. Because uh, it really felt like, it felt like the John Cleese ones to me. Oh, yeah. Because that, that became standard. And that's, and and all the briefings, you know, yeah. for the most part, they unless they were somewhere else, it was all going to be in Q Branch when he learned about the new gadgets. Yeah, no, I loved it. So, that leads us right into <gasps> our gadgets. Yay, gadgets! And gadgets, the, gadgets! And the first one we have to talk about is also the very first car, mm-hmm. the Aston Martin DB5. This was the latest version of the Aston Martin that they had built. Okay. In the novel, it was a DB Mark III. Okay. Yeah. So we're, they just updated the, it to the most recent one. We've got the brand new model. Sure. They had two different cars. Mm-hmm. One car didn't have gadgets. One car did. Okay. And the company was, of course, reluctant to do this because one of the cars was going to get wrecked. Yep. So they were like, we're giving you two cars to make this movie, and you're guaranteeing us that we're getting one destroyed. Yeah. They did not want to sign on to it. But they they did eventually agree to a product placement in the film mm-hmm. and let them have the cars. And then it made gangbusters money for them after that fact. Yeah. I, I knew about this one, that after this movie, they have never had to pay for an Aston Martin again. I mean, of course not. Like, they, I believe they did actually have to pay for this movie. Possibly. And that was probably they, part of the agreement. Part of the agreement. And they probably got a discount because of the product payments. It was that oh, yeah. partnership. And now it's like, nope, just ship them over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to throw 10 off the, off the, you know, the coast. Uh, the second car that didn't have gadgets that they drove wound up being used for promotional purposes. And then they reused it for Thunderball. Oh, cool. So they kept they kept the other car. Okay, so they were being economical with it. Go them. I mean, they had to learn how to do that from the very fucking beginning. So I that's just smart. Yeah, I um, appreciate that. So in terms of the gadgets on the car, it's kind of funny. The novel only had it have a smoke screen. Okay, that was it. But they, everybody started pitching in ideas. Okay, Guy Hamilton wanted a revolving license plate because he'd gotten so many tickets. That's funny. It just uh, makes sense. His son saw an ejector seat on television and okay. offered that idea. Okay. They originally conceived of sharp nails coming from the headlights, 
but they replaced it with the oil dispenser because they were too afraid people would try to mimic it. Oh, okay. Because you could see how it worked. Oh, yeah, okay, I can see that. So all that different stuff, they, mm-hmm. it was just, everybody was like, well, what if you did this with the car? Oh, maybe we could put this. And then they spent like six weeks retrofitting one of the DB5s with all of that to stuff. To do all that stuff. So. That's just awesome. I know. That makes me happy. It just it, It's a time when as a, uh, a set person mm-hmm. and a props person, you also had to know how to be a car mechanic. <laughs> oh, that's happened to me. There was, there, I did a show where I was the props master and... Like, it's pretty straightforward. We need this, we need that. But then there was this one thing that is very specifically described in the script. And I'm like, I gotta figure out how to make that piece of shit. <laughs> and it was actually one of my most favorite things I've ever made. Yeah, I, I can just imagine it was like, are, are any of us mechanics? Yeah. Holy shit, what are we gonna do this with? Yeah. We also have the homing beacon in his shoe. Yeah. We have to mention that one. Well, it's it's... Two. It's the yeah, tiny the one, big he one can put in a shoe, and the, the big, big one, one you put somewhere else. The the little yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a do- dual size one travel. Yeah, because Q she has says. to make one little one. He's got to make miniatures. They make a callback to the attaché case. Uh huh. If you if you miss it when he's talking with M, it's, like, do, it's so do, funny. Do bring it back in all its pieces. No, what what it is? He's talking to M, and M says, "Oh, they tried to retrieve your attaché case, but I believe it got destroyed." Yeah. Oh yeah. Which means that somebody tried, tried to, to open, open it the, it the wrong way. way and they, yeah. <laughs> So the bad guys didn't get it. Of course, Ajab's hat. Yeah. Which is great. Ajab's hat is amazing. And lasers did not exist when the book was written. Industrial lasers did not exist when Goldfinger was filmed. That's amazing shit there, Ian Fleming. Yeah, they never had used high power lasers. Wow. So the novel actually has Goldfinger use a saw, a circular saw. And the filmmaker said, let's do a laser. And so the way they did it was it was all, the laser was all painted. Okay. I mean, they, they painted the beam and everything yeah. onto the frames. And then underneath, they had a guy with a blowtorch oh, okay. that lit that was, the that gold was, was as it went along it. slowly. Okay. They melted it. And uh, Ken Adam was advised on laser design by Harvard scientists who had helped him with the water reactor in Dr. No. That's so cool. The guy did his fucking homework, man. Man, he's awesome. Like, even Dr. No, which seems kind of low budget. No, it, it is very low budget. It still feels real. But that man did amazing work on nothing. I want to know everything else he's ever done. I know, that's this what this point. makes me think. He's really fucking great. That's cool. And the other thing we get, mm-hmm. the very first thing, mm-hmm. is the first title theme song. <laughs> Dame Shirley Bassey, singing a song written by Anthony Newley and Leslie Bricuse, Goldfinger. Goldfinger, he's the man, the man with the Midas touch, a spider's touch. I still think it's the best. Skyfall's coming in like number two or three for me, but this one is so fucking good. You know, when when we're done with this whole, when we get to the end of this whole series, when we've gone through all of them, I'll have to listen to all of them. We'll have and we'll have to rank them because yes, we'll have to do some rankings because I I very much remember going through some of this with the Pierce Brosnan ones. <laughs> uh, I just, and those are not good. No, I, I know that. <laughs> um, Skyfall is amazing. 
But, I mean, Adele's amazing. This is good. This is very good. Oh, I love... It's... Now, the lyrics are complete shit. Yeah, the, the lyrics are horrible. Her voice is amazing. I like the feel of the music. It, it's well, good. They That's... talk about... Yeah, they talk about this and all of it, mostly, brass. Yeah. Of course it's brass. And why is it brass? Because gold. Yeah. The, oh, the motif. It's, just, it's, it's so it's great. It's the exact right vibe. And I love... I, just that first note hit... When we go from the major to minor, and that one little sequence where you're just like, oh, oh, everything feels dastardly and evil. And you gotta play it loud. If you don't play it loud, you're not listening to it right. Like most music. So, like, it's just, it's so good. <laughs> the single reached number eight on the Billboard Hot 100 in America, and number 21 in the UK charts. Mm-hmm. It was a big fucking deal. I mean, even the the critical reception was not great. They were like, the lyrics are awful. Mm. But people ate it up and loved the song of course it was so good and i think that's why they had to have one in every other movie because this song was so good yeah so the trivia now you know some stuff about fort knox okay so i've been to fort knox my two grandparents uh have been buried there (laughs) uh it sounds a little creepy but uh they're he's former military so yeah at fort knox they have a display of the fort knox display from this movie uh-huh. It is that actual one. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that their approximation of Fort Knox was incredibly accurate and nobody involved in this film would ever went there. Oh, no. No. They they didn't go, they didn't get like permission, and it was extremely accurate, which is part of the reason why they got the model. Now, okay, it's not completely true. Cubby Broccoli had connections. He knows a man named Colonel Charles Russian of the Air Force. Okay. They were allowed one flyover. Okay. So they got to fly over it exactly one time. Mm -hmm, Because it's typically a no-fly zone. And Ken Adam, he was like, it was incredibly frightening because there are machine guns on the fucking towers. Like, Uh on the roof of the fucking thing. It's typically a no-fly zone. (laughs) So flying over, he was freaked out. When Ken Adam found out that he wasn't going to be able to go in, he was delighted. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he had seen the gold vaults at the Bank of England. Okay. And they are not impressive. It's like, I mean, there's gold. Don't get me wrong. There's yeah. a lot of gold, mm-hmm. but it's he's like, it's like a, you know, a couple of rows high and mm-hmm. it's just kind of stacked in different places. He's like, so I got to make it from the top of my head. That's cool. He came up with the cathedral design, incorporated this kind of sort of prison theme. Harry Saltzman did not like the idea at all. Mm. He was just like, I don't think this is going to work. The salt and broccoli are fighting. Guy Hamilton was like, it's a good enough fucking idea for us to do. Let's just fucking do it. Mm-hmm. I got to make this damn movie. I got to make it pretty and people so, like it. So Hamilton won <laughs> and let him do it. The controller of Fort Knox complimented them on their imaginative description. There is no information as to whether they they wanted to give any indication of the interior. And of I have a feeling not. they never would. And I have a feeling that the interior is kind of accurate, but not specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, there's probably some similarities to what's in there, but let's be real. Without seeing it, he probably could never approximate what's actually inside of there. But I think he got the outside perfect. Yeah. Just based on yes. that one spot. Yeah, that's that's what I know. And yeah. What, yeah, having been there, I, I've not, like, been into the fancy cool stuff because I don't have that clearance. Now, they also filmed in and around Fort Knox. Mm-hmm. They were only supposed to fly 3,000 feet when they were flying the gas scenes. 
okay. So those were actual soldiers. Oh, okay. They flew over Kentucky right there. Hamilton said at 3,000 feet, they were specks in the sky. You couldn't see them. Okay. So they flew at 500 feet. Oh, fuck. And the military freaked the fuck out. But Guy Hamilton went, uh, that won't do it all. He just did it. The military is not a group of people that you say do it and, you know, <laughs> a- a- ask for forgiveness, not permission. His words were, the military people went absolutely ape. <laughs> I, I, He's British to the end. I love it. I fully believe all of that. Oh. And the group of soldiers that faints, it's all the same group. They just moved them to different locations. Oh, that's funny. So, smart. They they had a platoon for from Fort Knox, yeah. and they said, hey, you guys get to be in this movie. Just faint here. Okay, let's go over here. Now do it here. All that stuff. Oh, so they, they just moved them around. to get to be there. I guarantee it. Yeah, it was smart. That's a fun, that's a fun reward. The model jet for the Lockheed Jetstar mm-hmm. for Goldfinger's plane. Okay. They painted the other side to be the presidential plane. I t- it was literally the exact same plane. Again, that's just being economical. And this movie won an Oscar. Yay! It's the first Oscar for a Bond film. Norman Wanstall won for Best Sound Effects Editing. Okay. And the sound effects are pretty great. The ejector seat with the guy screaming, that's pretty damn good. That is that is pretty cool. And even the dubbing uh-huh. is pretty on point. Right, it is. Because you know what? I didn't even notice that Goldfinger was dubbed. No. That's, okay. I yes. noticed it a yes. little bit, only because I think I knew some of that. Silent claps, yes. So if you're looking for it, you can catch it every once in a while, but rarely. Of course, the impact of this movie is huge. It was highly successful, generally regarded as the, the bo- top Bond movie by lots of critics. Its budget was made back in two weeks, and Guinness Book has it as the fastest this... grossing film of all time. Still? As far as I know. Okay. Wikipedia hasn't changed it yet. Okay. Yay, Wikipedia. So not not the highest, but the Uh, fastest. Fastest. Cool. Ever. The DeMille Cinema, when it opened in the US, had to stay open 24 hours a day because of the demand for the movie. I believe that. This also spurred on parody after parody, including Mm -hmm. the two most famous, The Beatles' Help. Yeah. And Casino Royale from 1967. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Austin Powers. Every spy spoof that ever came had to incorporate stuff from Goldfinger in it. And there is an entire Mythbusters episode devoted to myths from Goldfinger. Yay! Their Bond episode is all Goldfinger stuff. They talk about plane depressurization after gunshots at high altitudes, death by full body painting, car ejector seats, and using a tuxedo under a dry suit. Does Mm. it get wet? (sighs) This is the biggest one. I think this is the one we're going to have the most we're ever going to say about. How many Aston Martin DB5s do you give this movie? Um, I'm going to give it 3.5. All right. I'm going to 3.5. Yeah. It wasn't your, it wasn't like the greatest thing you'd ever seen. No. Oh, it's right. not a five. Not a five, but, because I'm giving it four. I think that, like, we've slowly impressed it. I had like a two, and then I think the last one was three, and now I'm like a three five. This is one of the strongest efforts in the franchise for sure. I want to say this is the best one. But I've really got to get through the rest of them to really make that final judgment on that. Sure. Well, I mean, we have to get through all of the Sean Connery. And then we can decide which of the Sean Connery are the best. But for the rest of my life, that line from Goldfinger with the laser is going to just live in my head. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. So we put a uh, poll in our Facebook group uh, about, you know, which was your first... James Bond. Uh-huh. And one of my friends said that, what if you've never watched a James Bond film? Another one of my friends 
responded with that exact line. Oh, yeah. Like, how could you have not? And she quoted Goldfinger. Arik Goldfinger. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, and it, it appears, according to the Facebook people who took our poll, that Pierce Brosnan was their first blind. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Mine's Roger Moore. Oh, yeah, well. It's cable television. That's why I think um, I think my I think the my Facebook audience particularly uh, skews a little on the younger side. <laughs> so just a little. No, I give this one four. Just the lines, the the vibe, everything about it, and it's the template for everything else. It's so important. So I gotta I gotta push it up there as one of the big ones. Hmm. So next week, we jump into a long disputed and very interesting entry into the Mm -hmm. canon. It's time for Thunderball. He always runs while others walk He a little like i know it's for it's the litigious one and it's the one that there was a remake of later yep. so there's just a lot there's there's some there's some behind the scenes crap there's a lot on. of behind the scenes weirdness going on before the movie and then the movie itself is it's its own interesting little thing all right so this week everybody we watched Deadpool 2. Foul-mouthed mutant mercenary Wade Wilson, a.k.a. Deadpool, brings together a team of fellow mutant rogues to protect a young boy of supernatural abilities from the brutal, time-traveling mutant, Cable. It was so much fun, guys. Ah, it was good, good stuff. I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed the first one. I think I liked it a little bit better than the first one. You know, the first one was so not what we're used to when it comes to superhero movies and x-men movies that it was a lot more shocking and it just got me a lot off more off guard and this one they they threw out so much stuff i wasn't expecting that i was equally caught off guard and happy and surprised yeah it's if you can believe it more violent and more vulgar than the original yeah and at the same time i feel like has a little more heart than the original just different heart it's good though. It's just it was so fun. We I we saw Deadpool the first one in the theaters twice, and I mean we go to the movies a lot, but that's that's a lot if we go see a movie two times. And I'm kind of like we're gonna have to go see this again, aren't we? Probably. Yeah. At some point, it's just too good not to pass mm-hmm. up. There is a ridiculous amount of cameos. They are all fun and great, and we will not talk about any of them. No, not Other today. Than to say they're great. <laughs> but all your main players are back for mm-hmm. sure. Yep. Along with the introduction of Cable, who is such a badass. And Josh Brolin's great. And I don't care that he's also Thanos and in Infinity Wars. Like, I didn't get too much bad guy Josh Brolin. No. Well, and that's... This isn't giving anything away from the comic books, but Cable... Cable's complicated. Correct. He's he's a complicated character who is super interesting in the whole scheme of this thing. Uh, he's he's great in the movie. And of course, I mean, we get our Negasonic Teenage Warhead. She's great. She's back. It's so fun. We get a bunch of new superheroes. We get Domino. Domino's fun. The, I like her, played by Zazie Beetz. The way they 
created her character was super great. Yeah, I like that they chose a person of color. Dawn oh, yeah. is typically a Caucasian woman. And so I like they just kind of flipped it while still doing the same thing with her a, a little bit. I, I know there's a lot more nuance in the comic, but I like her. I like Zazzy Beats. All the goofy stuff with Colossus is just wonderful. They go that much further. They they shit on the X-Men a little bit more, which is always fun. It's really fun to shit on the X-Men. Oh, they do it on everybody. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot more in joke uh, superhero Marvel references. comments. And then and then a cup not quite as many against DC, which I get. They're not as much fun to poke fun at. I don't know. Deadpool just goes after everyone. Yeah, nobody's safe. I think the only weak link for me is T.J. Miller. Well, yeah. I think they either should have used him less or a lot more. Whatever balance they struck with him, I didn't like. They had the right amount of that character in the original The first one one was great, and this one it was like, we either needed less or a lot more. Well, and we know the various reasons why this might have been happening, but he also seems pretty checked out. Yeah. He seemed a lot more invested in the first movie than he does in this one. Probably makes a lot of sense. Whatever, T.J. Miller's a tool anyways, so. It's true, and he won't be back again. And also uh, a little bit of shout out for Julian Dennison. Yeah. As Russell. Had no idea he was from New Zealand. I mean, he just has what sounds like a British accent, but he's New Zealand, so that's cool. Oh, no, he's, he's got the Kiwi accent. I didn't catch the Kiwi very much. It's it's Kiwi Australian for sure. Okay. But no, if you if you like the first one, you should enjoy the second one. Absolutely. And make sure you stick around for the end credits. Because they're great. Totally worth it. Until next time, guys. Bye. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com.